Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about Andre Mariner. I mean, everyone else. Excuse me. The officiating was terrible this weekend, so I still have his name on the tip of my tongue. The man can seem to uh, be useful as a VAR official, but not as a center ref. Um, But more important things happening this weekend. Chelsea obviously walked away with a victory against Leicester. And here to join me, as usual, are my two trusty co-hosts. I'll start off with Andres first. Dude, this is two weekends in a row where it wasn't completely ruined by Chelsea, so I assume that you're feeling pretty well right now. Man, I had myself quite the weekend. My aunt got married Saturday morning. Chelsea won. UT locked in a Big 12 championship in basketball and a number one seed into the March Madness tournament. Venezuela Two massive wins in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, I'm on cloud nine, man. What a freaking weekend. Shout out to our boy Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme, because he was with me all the way watching those baseball games, too. So great weekend. Great week. Venezuelan brethren. Um, Sam, how you doing, man? Today, I feel Venezuelan. (laughs) <laughs> i've been i was i've been a diehard venezuela fan the past two days that team is sick andreas so uh i'm glad I, i'm gonna be an honorary venezuelan let's go we accept you or so um i'm definitely rooting for them over united states also i don't know why um but three three wins in a row <laughs> i i thought that while we were on our cold streak that we'd have a stretch of games like this, and I figured how I react to it, whether I'd buy into it or not. And now that it's actually here, I don't know. I kind of buy into it a little bit, but I just don't want to like get my hopes up too much. I don't know. Um, by the way, uh, to all the listeners out there, this is a. Uh, we usually post our uh, podcast on Anchor, and they just recently switched over uh, to something called Podcast or Spotify Podcast. So. I know usually we start off the episode with my uh, signature uh, ad. You know it's hard getting a podcast off the ground, that one. Um, now we have to do ads in the middle of the episode. So, um, And we, I think we have a new uh, ad as well. So we'll take this break and then come back. Cool. So um, I guess there's no better place to start than a starting 11. So I'll read that out really quick and then we'll get our, um, we'll get our quick takes on it. So we started back in the three, four, three, just like we did in the last couple matches here. Keppa returning to goal back three is unchanged starting from left to right. Kukurea, Kulubali, and Fofana, uh, the midfield four, including the wingbacks from left to right. We got Ben Chilwell returning on the left-hand side, Kovacic and Enzo in the middle and Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, retaining his position as the right wing back, just like he did last weekend in the league. Reese James uh, sat out with an illness, not injury-related, but from what we understand, uh, just just a little sick. So front three, um, Raheem Sterling felt a little tightness um, in his hamstring, so he was out. Mikhailo Mudrik finally got the call, um, started on the right-hand side. Kai Havertz up the middle, Joao Felix off to the left. So I guess there's no better place to start than Ron's question. I mean, he kind of asked what I wanted to ask, but he asked, how important was it to win a game like this without James on the pitch? Um, Andres, I'll start with you. It's massive, massive, because I've been saying that, you know, this season so far, the the biggest way to tell if Chelsea was going to win a match or not is if Thiago Silva and Reese James are on the pitch. Uh, neither of them are there right now for this last match, and we won pretty comfortably in terms of the scoreline. So, I think this is massive. I think that could have been a huge bump on the road. You know, you lose Reese and then suddenly the chemistry's not there, but the boys gave us everything. <laughs> we could say that Actually the positive gave way. Us everything. They gave us everything and you know the the team is still <laughs> clicking. And I think that's extremely important because like Sam said, three in a row. We had two two Premier League matches in a row, the big win against Dortmund. It's 
it's all good feelings and, and everyone involved is uh, doing their part. Um, talking about Mudik and Kai Havertz, um, you said Mudik was on the right, uh, Havertz was in the middle, but just something that obviously we've learned over time, Graham Potter's style, they exchange spots a lot. I mean, if you look at mm -hmm. Kai Havertz's heat map, he actually played most of the time on the right side. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's spread out all, all across the pitch, same with Mudrik. Whereas Joao Felix, he kind of stayed on the left-hand side a little bit towards the middle, but like never ventured on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, I, Felix would just drop deep. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's probably because um, there was no Reese James on the right, um, mm -hmm. and I think his his connection with Chilwell has been phenomenal. So um, excited to see that advance in the future. But I don't know. I thought RLC did okay. So yeah, yeah, that's actually a good shout. I thought I thought RLC as a right wing back is extremely serviceable. I'd rather see him there than Dave. I mean, just based on the small sample size we've seen under him. I mean, under Tuchel he was great as a wing back, but under Potter, obviously the system's a little different. The demands are a little different, but he seemed to handle them pretty well. Um, I was also going to say, oh, go for it. Psalm, like you mentioned the Havertz thing. I think this is. And I don't know if, if many listeners like noticed this, but when Belgium was actually playing well, like back in 2018, going into Russia and they got third place, Lukaku would line up at left wing, mm -hmm. but he was actually a striker. And I think it's one of those things where, sure, Havertz is lining up centrally, but like you said, he is leaving that central spot to go to that right side to then open up space for Mudrik to run into. And I think that's all tactical at this point. Like you said, Felix is very much left side only. But then Havertz, who's left-footed, drifts right and lets the right-winger, quote-unquote, truly be a striker in this system. So I think it's a little bit of confusion, some premeditated runs that maybe are, are going on in practice that are allowing our attack to maybe create space without having to really think about it. Yeah, it's a very fluid front three. I think this is the most fluid front three we've seen in a long time. I can't really remember. Yeah. The last time I could think of a front three that was this fluid is when Diego Costa was out and we were pretty much forced to play Hazard as a false nine for a little stretch. I believe that was under Conte, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, I mean, it's been um, pretty much rinse and repeat. So it's nice to see that they've been refreshed. Honestly, they look refreshed and they're playing that way. Um, but I do want to focus in on, on Mikhailo Mudrik. I know he didn't appear the last two matches. There was some question marks about whether he was ready or if he just needed more time or is Potter protecting him so on and so forth. Um, but he did register his first Premier League assist in this game. He probably Yee. could have had a hockey assist as well. Um, and a Felix tap-in. Yeah, and he had a goal that was disallowed. Shout out to Mudrik for the Drogba celebration. <laughs> that was awesome. But also at the same time, Mikhailo, if nobody in the, in the stadium is screaming, it probably <laughs> means that the goal didn't count. It was dead-ass silent when he was pumping his arms. Okay, he had to have been planning that out. Like ever since he got there, he's like, "All right, the first goal I score, I'm gonna pull that out." And yeah. once it went in, he just like entered into a separate zone. Like he blocked everything out, slid on his knees, did the drogba. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it it fits. It's the brand, dude. This kid's all up yeah. in his social media. He's like, "Okay, flip it, flip from Arsenal fan to Chelsea fan. Like who's <laughs> iconic in Chelsea? Drogba celebration. That's it." He knows he, how to win the fans over, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. You know he wants to be the big star. And, and then I, compare I, that reaction, compare that reaction to Kai Havertz's when that goal actually counted and he like didn't even react. I think he thought he was offside. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like I'd even see him like smile or celebrate. Like and Mudrik slid on his freaking knees, pulled out a drogba on a goal that didn't even count. It's funny how that this ten, was a ten knee slide though ten ten knee slide he was sliding for yards man he Dude. was yeah was a long one <laughs> he definitely practiced that like a lot yeah. the Leicester City groundkeepers are probably like kicking themselves <laughs> Dude, fuck this guy all that for nothing um but look I mean I talked about it earlier he st he did start on the right I thought he was pretty quiet uninvolved um I actually texted this in our group chat but. I noticed it in the first half where he was lacking that same verticality that made us so successful against Dortmund. And by verticality, I mean the runs that Sterling was making. And it looked like once he switched centrally and Kai moved out to the right, like Sam touched on earlier, 
that's where he really started to flourish a little bit. He was starting to see the ball and be more involved. Um, I mentioned the hockey assist on that Joao Felix offside goal. It was a beautiful first touch, spin, runs into space. I believe it was RLC that yeah. he laid it off to, who squared yeah. it to Joao Felix. Even though the goal didn't count, it was... I mean, that was just a beautiful team goal, beautiful work by Mudrik. And it's a little glimpse into what he can offer um, physically and tactically. I mean, the, the speed is... Nobody can keep up with him in the Premier League just in terms of sheer pace. But if he's able to get that first touchdown, yep, my lord, we have a player on our hands. So um, Russell Saunders asked a really good question, um, or actually had a good statement. He said, "I was happy for Mudrik suffering up top to see Kai shine again." So I mean, we'll get the Kai in a little bit, but I think he's more so highlighting the fact that the performance as a whole was pretty encouraging. So sticking to the Mudrik theme. Was this performance encouraging for you guys? Uh, Sam, I'll start with you on this one. I really liked what I saw. Um, his, uh, like, I think his passing, his, like, first touch passing, um, he set up one chance with um, Connor Gallagher. He had a really good shot. Um, and also linked that ball off to um, RLC. I know that wasn't the first touch, but still... That's really encouraging. Obviously, the assist. I mean, that was, you know, I'll count that as an assist, but it's not he the like, right thing. He he headed right. it back. He 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 headed the ball square, which is what you're taught to do in those positions. Just put it back across the goal, and if nobody's there, it's not your if, fault. If you get Kovacic to score, it counts as an assist. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah, like you got the one out of hundred times that Kovacic is actually going to put that in the back of the net. So you really <laughs> lucked out on that one, um, but. Yeah, the the speed this guy has is crazy. I mean, you were talking about it earlier. Uh, I think it was Andreas how this guy's gonna get called offside a lot this year because of how fast he was. Um, and really, like when you watch that that offside's goal in real time, it looked like he was way off. Right. And I, oh, I thought right. he, I thought he was way off. Mm-hmm. And then when you see the replay, he was like just off, but he's just so fast that. Like by the time like you saw the ball was released, he was already down the like halfway down the pitch. So um, there there was one specific play. Sorry to cut you off. Where yeah, was a, a through ball, or I think a ball was played defeat while Mudrik was playing up the middle, and Sutar could have stepped and sort of blocked off Mudrik from spinning, um, and instead Sutar backed off because he was just terrified that he was going to get rinsed. And then Mudrik wound up rinsing him anyways, even though <laughs> Sutar gave himself seven or eight yards head start. So, I mean, just in terms of pure fear factor, the kid brings something to the table. I think he's going to ask a lot of questions of a lot of defenses. Andres? Yeah, no, I I think I was honestly surprised of how comfortable he was playing with his back to goal. I thought he was going to be extremely one-dimensional just by the fact that he's young. Every bit of his YouTube highlights at Shakhtar was, you know, the push and dribble, the or the push and sprint, excuse me, type of dribbling. So to see him adjust to getting ball to feet and then being productive with it not perfect but very productive with it i thought that was a nice sort of unexpected um tool in his arsenal because again we know he spends all this extra time in the weights and all this stuff so for him to actually be physical and and be okay with contact going up against three center backs i just i really appreciated that coming from someone who's still adapting in the premier league We've talked plenty about his wheels, and I'm just glad the team was, especially Havertz, was so willing to play the ball through and let Mudrik do his thing. Something that we hadn't seen in his first few starts where, you know, the the, the infamous match where Kukureya wouldn't pass it to him and all these other matches where it just felt like when Ziyech was playing opposite of him, the only chance he was going to give Mudrik was a long floating ball into the back post, which does absolutely nothing for the guy. So... That's that's my takeaway from all this. We're helping him, and props again to Potter and the staff for, for sort of allowing the game plan to let his best attributes shine. I mean, I've been critic. I mean, I've been critical of Potter in the past by saying he doesn't really have what it takes to sort of protect players that need protecting. Do you think him not being in the squad was mainly due to? protecting the player like yes. stop throwing him out there so he can have shitty performances or was it more a matter of 
let's just get the guys that we trust out there so we can get some results. I think, honestly, I think it's, it probably is a mix. I mean, Raheem Sterling yeah, wasn't, well, sure. wasn't uh, healthy when mm-hmm. Mudrik came in, and I honestly no wingers were. But to me, it's, it's, he's showing he can do it. I mean, Kukureya has been balling since he came back. Now, back-to-back matches where he's been solid after being mm-hmm. dinky. We know he's been protecting him. Mudrik, add him to the equation. I, at this point, think we're seeing something similar potentially with Mason Mount, who's also been stinking up the joint prior to, to not featuring in the, in the past few weeks. Um, Kula Bali is another one. So I think in the past, maybe it's because we were winning, it just feels that way, but he reintroduced guys that all of us thought were out of favor mm-hmm. and, and brought them back up. And more recently and this might be a good transition point, it's been Kai Havertz, who is now in this sort of purple patch and been the central cog to this attack, who, again, a little bit of grooming, a little bit of, you know, you're still my guy, you're still my guy, and suddenly it's paying off for us. Except yeah. he, he never he never benched Kai Havertz. That's the he only difference, right, match. right. But again, it's, it's one of those... He benched him for Profano once. We, and and was it was it. because it was a, nest, a must, right? Like, yeah, all of us yeah. are like, it, it has to happen this match. So, yeah. I feel like it was one of those moves just to make the fans or just for just so he can buy a little bit more times in terms of fan patience, especially when you look at the context of why he picked Fofana over him. But yeah, I mean, sticking to the Kai Havertz point, let's just get right into it. We had a man of the match poll after the match. Um, the options I put out there were Kai Havertz, Enzo Fernandez, Ben Chilwell and uh, Kukurea and uh, no votes, no love for my boy Kukurea, but it's OK. Um, Kai Havertz won the vote overwhelmingly for about 43%. Enzo had 33%, and Ben Chilwell had 23.8%. Um, so, uh, I know, Andres, my spelling of poll on the script is awful. Um, <laughs> don't make fun of me. Too much Formula One. Too much Formula One, baby. Um, but yeah, I mean, sticking to Havertz, it was a lovely, lovely finish. I think that was arguably one of his best finishes in a Chelsea shirt and that's not just recency bias um to have the composure and then also the ability to execute is remarkable in that situation and then what impressed me most about the finish itself was there was zero hesitation it felt like the second the ball got clipped over the top there was no second guessing how he was going to put that one in the back of the net um so that just shows how much confidence he has right now Add to that goal, um, he had two shots on target, created one big chance, 86% pass accuracy, so he's not giving the ball away like he used to. He's getting himself into positions where he's creating opportunities for himself and his teammates, and he's just looked pretty good. Um, so at 12 bands, Chelsea asked, Kai's looking, and then he put the okay emoji. So Kai's looking okay as a playmaker. I quite like this fluid front three. Your thoughts on next season, and do we need a traditional number nine? So let's kind of tackle the first part of this. Um, I want to focus in on on the playmaker aspect of Kai Havertz's game. Does he have a future at Chelsea Football Club as a playmaker? Mm, I just think with the addition of Nkunku coming in, I think you you could you see you kind of envision Joao Felix playing that role as well. Keeping Kai Havertz, I just don't know where he'll be on the pecking order, like just playing that role. But that is that that's the only role he can't he should play, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So That's a good point. I don't know. If if he does stay, I don't expect him to play obviously as much as he is this season, but um I don't know. I th- I, I that I think that's just like if he plays ever like in the future, which he will, it's gotta be that role. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more of where the dominoes fall because we keep talking about Nkunku, but we don't have any formal confirmation. So, like, I'm still kind of, like, a little nervous to keep mentioning him. I know Fabrizio's <laughs> Fabrizio. I just haven't seen the here we go. Then there's also the part where Jao Felix is in our player, and we've rolled out the red carpet, and I think us fans more than anything want him to sign. More than you can believe. You know, yeah. a la Pep Guardiola. But... uh at the end of the day, Jao Felix wants Champions League. He wants to keep playing Champions League. And the only way we're getting that this year is if we win it all, which we would love that as fans. But again, that is a very tough ask. 
And then there's the other part, the other elephant in the room, Mason Mount might be walking out. So, or being sold so that he can't just walk out. So now could it happen next season? Maybe because if you, even if you do bring in Kunku, your front three, it'll be crowded. I'm not going to lie. The potential of a, if you stick to the back three, there's also going back to the back four after a whole summer. But if you're sticking mm-hmm. to a back three, your front three in theory would be Felix and Kunku and whoever is in better form, whether it's Kai Havertz or Sterling, and you let Kai Havertz do what he's doing right now. And then one of Nkunku or Sterling does the whole playing in behind role of things because we know both Nkunku and Sterling can score more than Kai. So to me, it's yeah. it's are we sticking to the back three as the primary? Because if that's the case, there's a lot more questions here because you have Madueke, you have Mudrik, you have Chukwameka, you have Gallagher, you have all these other players that also need playing time in those front three positions. And then if the back three is just like a, hey, this is how I'm going to introduce my brand of football and we'll revert back to the back four going into next year so that we can unleash the attack at full potential then it gets maybe where a lot of more of those bodies can come in but kai havers has to play at the 10 period he he should not be leading a line un, right he should not be the highest guy on the pitch in terms of heat maps like like psalm has been cleverly pointing out to us so he has to be a 10 whether it's the right side of 10 in a in a Three four three, or if he's like a, the traditional ten in a four two three one, it has to be one or the other. I just don't see it working otherwise. Yeah, I, I don't think the question is whether or not he we need a traditional number nine because I've been preaching this like no other that we need a fucking goal scorer in this team. Um, but in terms of him being a playmaker and his long term future at the club. I'm going to stick to my guns here and I'll give him credit. You know, I think this is definitely a man of the match type performance. I think over the last two, three games, he's looked like a completely different player and somebody that we're starting to maybe see get closer to reaching his potential. I don't want to say that he's going to hit his potential because it's still too early to make that call. But like I said, I'm going to stick to my guns. I said it in the past. I think we need, I need to see personally a run of eight to 10 games where he's just lighting people up. You know, yeah, two matches or three matches on the spin. He's done this before. Start. He's done exactly. this before. Are we going to do this every season? And, like, and, well, well, no, but that's my point. Is like, I, a lot of fans are getting excited and are like, oh, he's back, he's out of this rut, and blah, 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 blah. This happens every year for Havertz. So, you know, it, it's crunch time. We only have, you know, X amount of games left. But 13. with that 13... So in those 13 games, I need another seven or eight performances like this. Not saying he needs to score every single time out, but in terms of being influential, creating chances, assists, being um, being involved in plays where we actually get goals and actually score goals, that's what I'm trying to see. I don't want to see it for... Th- I, I mean, I do want to see it for three games, but I need to see it longer before I can officially make the... All right, I'm off the selling Kai Havertz bus. Let's keep him at Chelsea. Yeah, you know, there's that also conversation that, right? still a long time away for me. He could also just be making himself a shinier toy to someone like Bayern, who the best eternal case, links are there. Honestly, best case scenario in my mind, that's what happens is Bayern or some other big club is looking at this and going, oh, okay. I mean, because right maybe, now they're still maybe, running Chupamoting. They're still running mm-hmm. Chupa Moting as their main attacker. Um, I yeah, know Sadio Mane has been hurt, but still, you would think they might be, you know, dipping. They might test our waters in terms of Kai Havertz. But and I think Nagelsmann, with the way he manages his club, um, I don't think he would necessarily target a traditional number nine. I think he'd go for somebody more like Kai, where he can mix and match and switch his position up on the fly. I mean, his he he's lining up with a different formation almost every game. So Kai Havertz kind of fits into that mold where he can play a few different positions. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sticking to it, guys. I need to see it for a longer period of time before I'm sold. And honestly, the same conversation goes to uh, Grant Potter as well. But we'll get to that in a bit. Um, second highest in votes for our Man of the Match poll was Enzo Fernandez. So... Honestly, this was my choice for man of the match. I thought I saw enough from him to give him the award, but not fussed that Kai got it. It was well-deserved. 
Um, 89% pass accuracy on the game, completed five total long balls, that's the most in the match, created one big chance, obviously we know which one that is, the beautiful, perfect chip that he had to Kai Havertz, and he also won seven duels as well, along with four tackles, so, you know, he's doing his part defensively. I, I, guys, I mean, I just think he's setting the tone for our play in the midfield. I mean, we have another world-class midfielder, and the one I'm referring to besides Enzo is Conte when he's fully fit. Um, but he's also our only midfield player that consistently looks for the line-breaking passes. Um, I think Connor Gallagher does that from time to time, but nowhere near as consistently as Enzo does. And Enzo also does it with first-time passing, which is just something that Connor hasn't shown he has in his locker. Not saying he can't do it, but I just don't think uh, he's there yet in terms of his actual game development. Um, but yeah, like I said, he dictated our build-up play, and for me... Um, I think the winning formula with Enzo long term is getting him to next to somebody who can sit deeper and allow him to roam forward and play sort of a more traditional number eight role. Um, I noticed every time when he pushes up and supplements the attack, he either makes a decisive pass or he creates a space for someone else to create a shot on goal. Um, he's just way too important creativity wise when he's in, in the attacking third or attacking areas of the pitch. He's way too creative to be playing in these deeper positions like we have seen him in. I know he's there because we have to play him there. Um, but long term, if we can find a solution for a more natural DM, um, I feel like he'll just tear this league apart. I mean, we'll, we'll be mentioning him um, on the list of world's best midfielders in no time, I think. He's, he's well on his way, so... Um, I mean, what do you guys think? I, I'm I'm the biggest Enzo fanboy. Everybody knows this. Andy, I know you're an Enzo fanboy as well. So why don't you kick this one off? Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to have a midfielder who's willing to make the vertical pass. I alluded to it earlier. It just feels like he gets it. He sees the space and he just, instead of what we've seen for our midfielders now for the past three, four seasons, they see space and they dribble. He sees space and he finds the next vertical pass whether it's a long ball, whether it's a direct ball up the middle. And then, funny enough, we suck at, you know, breaking down these low blocks. And pre-Enzo, we would see someone like Mata or even maybe Cesc Fabregas thread the needle with the pass, and somehow it goes through three players. But Enzo's just now, it's the scoop. It's the Enzo scoop. There's nothing else. If he needs to break down the low block, we're going to see him do this perfectly weighted scoop. It's now the second or third time I've seen it. And the guy has been here for two months. So, or, or not even, he's pushing two months. So to me, it's it's just nice to see a midfielder who isn't looking to have a moment of magic and dribble through three players. But instead, not only does he do the whole metronome thing to keep the ball moving, but they have a purpose every time. It always feels like he's got his foot look, looking for the for the killer pass. and and I just. Love it. And and he's also looking for those long distance killer shots. Um mm -hmm. I think that's something we, we didn't mention yet. He he's willing to do that. So yeah. Big fan of it, man. Sam, I'm I'm sure you have just as many nice things to say. Dude, he is the real deal for sure. Um I, I have I have very little doubt in my mind that this is gonna pan out to be an amazing purchase i think one of my favorite things about him is how aggressive of a tackler he is while still like being a clean tackler like i think i don't think he's gotten a yellow card yet in the premier league i know he got one um last match in the champions league but um other than that like he's been phenomenal um very aggressive and then when he does win the ball back He's very comfortable, like, getting it out of a bad spot, like, either pushing it up, passing it backwards. I love, I mean, it's just, there's, you can't, like, just point to one aspect of his game. You have to point to everything, and he does everything so well. Like, I, I, it's very hard for me to find even, like, one spot where he's neglecting. I think, hey, and saw him real quick before I let Zach hmm. take over. You know, for those haters that want to fact check everything we do, Sam, you are correct. He has zero yellow cards in the Premier League. You weren't just talking out of your ass like some that. people love to claim. So, hey, props to you, man. Thanks for, for pushing the, the truth out here. 
Yeah, and fuck you to the people that question Sam or anyone else on this podcast. Um, we're completely unapologetic about that. Right, boys? Yeah, sometimes we're wrong, but we get most we of the like time. We admit then, it when we're wrong. We'll come on the next week and we'll hold our hands up and we'll admit it. And and we're the not other just, thing is like we say a lot of things tongue in cheek here, and I think that that's a part where like for anyone that's like a new listener, just we you can warm up to our humor. You you'll yeah. see it. And then if you don't, that's where the fuck you comes in. <laughs> All right, um, I think I think we got the point. I think they got the point. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Moving on to the next person, second highest vote in our Man of the Match poll, and rightly so. I thought he made a good shout for it, was Ben Chilwell. Um, Saw him, your boy. Had a rough start to the year. Arguably our best player across the last week. Scored a goal in this match, three key passes, three successful crosses. And this isn't on the script, but I'll mention it anyways. The threat he poses on set-piece delivery, as of lately, has been unbelievable, or as of late, has been unbelievable. Um, so we had a question from Sophie Bikes that she would like for you to answer. She said, finally, we've started scoring more and chilly in this game. He played so good. Isn't it great to have him in back in form? Take it away, my friend. Choo-choo! All aboard! Chili Train has officially left the station, baby. Um... Uh, wait, that doesn't really go together because all aboard <laughs> and the, okay. Anyway, you get what I mean. The chili train is in full takeoff. motion. Or yeah, we're ready to take off. Whichever way you, you want to interpret that as the best way possible, that's the way that I meant it. Um, yeah, I just want to touch quickly on what you said first about his set piece delivery because before he was very inconsistent with it. And that's not something that I really was a, was a big fan of. But yeah, you, you got it completely right in the past couple matches. His delivery has been on point where it's like Reese James just on the other side. Like, honestly, that's, that's yeah. how it, and it's such a luxury to have two guys like that, one on both sides. But Ben Chilwell, that goal... To hit it with his left from that angle and to just get a perfect shot, hit it f- near post, and somehow getting it passed through like four different bodies, that is. I mean, how is that guy a defender? How is he a defender with, with such amazing touch like that and just like well, great you, instinct? I'll answer that question, Song. He's not really a defender because he didn't register one defensive stat in this game. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'll read off his stats in a bit because I tweeted about it. But actually, continue, Sam. I'm going to pull up Kukurea's stats just so we can highlight how much yeah. he did the defensive work for Chilwell in this game. Hey, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? No, right? it's like, not. Like, the fact that Kukurea stepped it up, it'll, it allows him to push up a lot. And I so really quickly, um, in terms of Kukurea, and just to kind of support that argument there, Kukurea, five passes into the final third, made six tackles, nine ball recoveries, two blocks, Jesus. three clearances, and he completed 91% of his passes. So he was flawless, basically, behind Chilwell. And I kind of want to compare, like, uh, the way that Zinchenko's been playing for Arsenal, like, he's allowed to, to push up a lot. He switches sides sometimes. I wouldn't say Reese James has necessarily... I mean, he. I think he has that long of a leash or a green light to do that if he wanted to. But he knows his spots. He knows where to to get on the pitch. Um, like, his his attacking, like, movement. Um, I just... I, it's hard to explain, like, how a guy who is a traditional left back converted into a left wing back can be like that. Uh, I know I know we did have Marcus Alonso who technically should have been a striker, but um it's nice to have uh Ben Chilwell who's much better on the defensive end. Um did he he did have an assist, huh? This match or no? No, that was last match. No, last but, match. Uh, could have had a few off the corners in this one. I think he could have had two assists personally, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. I mean he scored his goal off a corner. 
Yeah. You know, Kulabali, Kulabali scissors on the opposite end where Chilwell's usually at and crosses it back in before Chilwell just spanks it into the back of the net. But I mean, Tom, you're talking about his movement, and that's the one thing that I always find so impressive is that somehow he times every run to where there's nobody around him. If Enzo finds him, or or it's usually Enzo or Reese James that do the long ball to him, the guy has acres of space and he just demands attention at that point. And, and people have to get out of position. That's when he crosses the ball in or he finally gets a shot off. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a big part of our game right now. Uh, you know, whenever we were winning matches under Potter the first time around, at the beginning of his tenure, there was no Chilwell. So it was all down Reese's flank. And it was like all the buildup would happen on one side and then the long ball would get to Reese and he would score. And now I feel like Chilwell is benefiting a lot from the fact that Enzo and Reese are more right-sided players and he gets to just sneak past everyone. Like, oh, you think they're the important guys? Like, (laughs) psych bitch, like I'm coming in. And it just (laughs) feels like he's loving life right now. I mean, hell, Kukureya is like, I got you, bro. Go do your thing. And sure enough, it's... It's so nice to see it's it's nice to also have him, like you said, have the freedom to do so. That's a big difference here between Potter and Tuchel's three four three. The wing backs have a lot more freedom to attack and and they're enjoying it. I think Chilwell has also gotten more comfortable dribbling in the final third, which is something that I think has only like gotten better with time. And and now there's the depth to match it. You know, this time it was Ruben that that gave Reese a break. I personally believe we're going to start seeing Lewis Hall again to give Chilwell a break. Um, Wouldn't be opposed. And, and the final thing you guys mentioning the the set pieces, I've been actually putting in my notes that I finally feel like we have a set piece threat again. And it's not just because Fofana is a monster athlete, but it's because the balls are, are that we're playing into the box are driven they're in the right place they're in always in a dangerous area and like you said Zom, 50% of that is Ben Chilwell I, I love seeing him line up there and Fofana Koulibaly Badiashil when he's back on the side Tiago when he's back on the side they're going to keep feasting like I, I put it right here we'll score at least three more corner kick goals in the Premier League alone before the end of the season and a huge credit of that goes to Chilwell yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at his heat map here, and to touch on your point that you made a little bit earlier, Sam, and, and Andres, you even mentioned it too, the timing of his runs going forward. A majority of his uh, heat map is actually in the attacking third in the opponent's half. So not only is he timing the runs perfectly, but he is constantly putting pressure on their fullbacks and keeping them pinned back. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about making things simple in the last couple weeks and in order to grind out results this is how you do that this is how you keep teams pinned back and playing against you on the counter attack um it it just it it forces everybody to stay honest and as a as a defender andres i know you could kind of allude to this too because you played a little as well um it's a nightmare to play against guys like that guys that are willing to run forward that sort of have that endless engine um they're a bitch to play against so Shout out to Ben Chilwell. Long may it continue. And um, yeah, I think he's been great so far. Um, I did want to touch, uh, last player we'll be talking about in, in extreme detail, at least, Joao Felix. Um, he, had a, he had a tough day, let's be honest with ourselves. Wasn't the greatest performance from him as a whole. He probably could have had two goals um, with that being said. So it just kind of shows you what kind of quality he possesses. Didn't even have the greatest day and could have had two. Two offsides that ended, um, some flashy finishing, four out of four long balls for the day. Fouled twice, um, but it felt like he was kicked a lot more than that. And uh, obviously had the one turnover that led to the Leicester goal. Now, granted, the Leicester goal was a worldie from Pats and Daka, who's barely gotten any playing time this year. But this was sort of a good reminder to joao felix without necessarily suffering extreme consequences um just a reminder that the premier league is the top league in the world and anybody can hurt you doesn't matter who the fuck it is whether it's pats and daca making his first start in the last 10 matches or so doesn't matter you can't be giving the ball away in those positions and not expecting them to hurt you um he was obviously hooked um for connor gallagher 
And uh, when Graham Potter was asked about it, we speculated that it might have been due to injury from getting kicked every five fucking seconds. But he said it was because tactically I needed an extra midfielder. So, um, Andres, you wanted to take lead on this. Was this a tough day for Joao Felix? And yeah. also, what were your just kind of overall thoughts on you know his outing? Because it, it wasn't the easiest day for him, let's be honest. I honestly think, first off, Pereira getting away with that tackle on him is just disgraceful. Shameful. And, yeah. and I think that sort of, from that moment on, I think that's where the shakiness came. I think he always just kind of, like, I think he got a little rattled, to be honest. And that's where the inconsistencies in his performance came. You know, on the ball, it could be flashy or he was losing the ball in midfield. You know, talk about four long balls, two chances that, you know, one hits the post and he ended up being offside. The other, he just got a little too eager. But I don't think people need to sit on this performance and then immediately think that the kid is is needs to be benched sort of thing. I don't think he was dropped because he was abysmal. I really think Potter is telling us the truth here. It probably was a tactical thing. But at the same time, going back to the whole protecting the players thing, I think it was pretty obvious that Felix wasn't at his best. And instead of letting him either get out of it in the next 45 minutes in, in a good way, he could have potentially just dug himself a deeper hole because he wasn't in his right headspace. When you play a team that's so willing to just swing at your ankles all game and the ref allows it to, that's not fun for an attacker. And the last thing we need is for Felix to actually get hurt when he was, you know, kind of being beaten up physically. So to me, I think it made perfect sense. I think it's going to pay off for the the player, you know, getting that, that extra 45 minutes of rest. Cause that's another thing. Felix has been starting ever since he arrived and playing most of the match. So I I don't think people need to start like it's not a typical Mourinho pulls you at halftime sort of sub that that we saw throughout the years. I think this was more of a sort of a nurturing hand from the manager and tactically speaking they had a three man midfield and and to me that was the biggest glaring thing throughout the match is that their midfield was outplaying ours. So adding Gallagher who is a complete effort monster just makes just too much sense not to do it. Yeah, I, I was actually, um, I'm, 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 we talked about it a little bit before, but I've been pleased with Conor Gallagher's uh, recent showings for Chelsea. And we spoke about it a little bit, but for the sake of the pod, we'll kind of repeat the conversation um, just so our lovely listeners can get, a, get the gist of it. Uh, part of me does think that this is a result of Mason Mount's contract situation. Obviously, he was injured, um, not available for this one, but long term. I think this is a role that Conor Gallagher can really kind of make his own. Now, for the rest of his career, do we want him to be a sort of, you know, come off the bench type of player? Not necessarily. But right now at this point in time, especially at his age, I think he's getting great experience. I think he's getting enough playing time to the point where we're not necessarily stalling his development. And tactically, he just sort of seems to get things. He's starting to really grasp what Potter wants of him. And Potter spoke about getting a ball winner in the midfield, and that's exactly what Conor Gallagher did, like he talked about Andy. So I've been really happy with his performances. I think um, I think the bet that me and Sam have still has hope in my favor. I think <laughs> ultimately, if he continues like this, let's say for the next, what, 13 games this season, and continues to be that sort of quote-unquote super sub that just kind of helps solidify things, not concede, and get over the line... Um, I think ultimately it could end up a successful season for him because it has been tough as of late, you know, getting all that playing time at Crystal Palace, winning player of the year and this and that, coming into this Chelsea team, completely discombobulated under Tuchel, the dressing room went, Graham Potter comes in, our form goes down. It's just been a really tough season for him in terms of stamping um, his name on the squad and stamping his impression um, in and around the club. But one thing that you absolutely can't take away from him, and it's probably my favorite aspect of his game, is that there's not a second when that guy is out there that I feel like he's not playing for the shirt or playing for the badge. I mean, you can really tell that there's some crazy motivation going on to succeed at Chelsea Football Club for him. He really loves the club. 
Um, what do you guys think about that? Are you? Am I kind of getting a little ahead of myself, or because I can I think, really tell? I can really tell you have twenty dollars on the line here, Zach. I have twenty bucks <laughs> on the line, baby. Yeah, my guns. No, I'm can messing I, can with I give you. My case. Can I, yeah, I yeah, Sam, go for it. Sam, give just, your case. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the the whole. Um, I just wanted to like touch upon what you said about like how he really wants to like play for Chelsea and like plays for the badge. I think a couple of years ago, um, you know, like the Cobham boys were really like we thought that we were gonna get like four or five stars out of this and it's now it's kinda looking like only Reese James is the one who's going to really pan out. And I think he wants to be another one that that does pan out as well. He doesn't want to be like, I mean, I don't want to say Mason Mount already is, is finished because he's, he's definitely not, but, um, the expectations for, uh, I mean, of Chelsea fans, uh, it's not that high right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that plays into it for a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the bet, the bet was just, whether he's having a good season or not, right? So, yeah. as of this moment... For, for Andres' standards, did he have a good yeah, season? Yeah, I, I think Andres yeah. would be crazy to say yes at this point. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. So, we, we don't know. Whole, no. yeah. I don't think he's had the greatest season, yeah. All right, we'll see what happens. We're still, we're still slightly in the red, if we want to talk about that, because he was really bad at the beginning. Um. My thing at the end of this all is, and you guys talk about it, is is what are his individual aspirations? Is it really just to continue to represent Chelsea? Or is he trying to say, hey, I can do more than just a cameo here and there and then earn a start every four matches, every five matches? And and he's young. He was doing it at Palace. He's not short of suitors. We know Newcastle was interested. Everton was interested. Um, so to me, it's... Is Gallagher is Gallagher going to be sort of what RLC has been in recent years, where RLC is more than happy to to fill in when he's needed, uh, and and you can't blame a player for wanting more. Uh, I think he has taken full advantage of the fact that Mount's future is sort of a huge gray area here. We don't know what's going to come out of that, and if Mount leaves. Maybe that changes what the club wants to do with Gallagher because before the newest set of news came out that that it's looking unlikely that we get a something across the line with Mount, it was that in the summer we would most likely have to sell someone like Gallagher because of uh, the wages and and you know needing to to open up space here and there. So maybe for his own benefit. He works his way back in. I still don't think that his aspirations are to be, you know, in, in football, it's not like basketball where you can be the sixth man. That's just not something that that exists here. The mm-hmm. The only guy that was okay doing that was Divo Carigi for, for Liverpool. And even he finally left hoping to, to start somewhere else. So it, it's only time will tell. I do think he is getting more and more confident and I'm seeing that by the fact that he's his crazy amounts of effort don't look like a headless chicken as much anymore. It feels like there is purpose <laughs> to it. And he is getting himself into very good attacking positions. I think in his last three cameos, I've now, this is now the third podcast in a row where he's, where he's come in, where he's had himself a chance in front of goal, even though he is in quotations, a defensive sub. So yeah, I think he's doing better in terms of the bet. Sorry, Zach, you're still not getting your 20 bucks, but it's going to, there's plenty of matches. There's at least 13 matches left. Uh, Well, actually at least 15, because we, we have already locked down two more Champions League matches. So, hey, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think, I think we're not at the point yet where we can say he had a good season, but I think he's on his way, potentially. Um, one more Twitter question before we talk about Everton. Um, Black Emoji wanted to know, is this the Potter Redemption Tour? So every yes. episode every episode we got to reassess how, about we, this. how we feel about Graham Potter. I mean, it's it's fair because it's been quite the ride. 
I mean, I think we stayed on Potter in, or at least let him stay till the end of the year, longer than a lot of people. And um, finally, when we switch over to the dark side, the Potter out, he starts playing, I mean, the team starts playing well and kind of winning the fans over. Um, funny how that works. So, I don't know. I think, Zach, the way you put it, or no, it was Andreas. What's the number that you put? Yeah, there's there's 13 Premier League matches left. And here, I'll, I'll pull it up because I, I do want to list some of the, the teams we play. So including Everton, we'll play Aston Villa at home, Liverpool at home, away at Wolves, home to Brighton, away to United, home to Brentford, away to Arsenal, away to Bournemouth, home to Forest, away to City, and we finish the season home to Newcastle. So that's the 13 matches. If Graham Potter in the Premier League alone can win seven of those 13 matches, I think he would earn my trust to earn, to get to to get a preseason. That puts him over 50% win percentage. I'm also not saying that he loses six. I want to see draws and then the the smallest number be losses. If he can comfortably get a seven wins out of those 13 matches and and give us a good, again, the next round of Champions League will be tough. Make sure we don't get embarrassed. Let's say we just don't get embarrassed on our way out of Champions League if we don't win it. That, to me, gives me confidence, enough confidence that we were trending upward after a complete shit show midway through the season to give him the preseason it takes because it shows me that the players are in on it, the tactics are being deployed, and he can prove to us that he can win some matches. In those 13 matches, there is potential for some key, marquee, high-level resume fillers for wins. You got United, you got Arsenal, you got Liverpool. Brentford is ahead of us. Brighton is ahead of us. Fulham is ahead of us. There's Or not Fulham, excuse me. We already played them twice. But Newcastle to finish the season. These are all potential high-profile wins on top of whoever is next in the Champions League. So to me, get seven out of the last 13 in the Premier League, and and I will gladly end this season with give the guy a full preseason. That's where I'll stand. I, I, I think I'm on the same side as you. Like, if it's starting... Like, if we're starting to see the signs and the patterns that like it's it's good football like deep down inside i feel like it was a little bit irrational of us to expect him to come in and like immediately instill his system i think we got um it kind of skewed our idea um what's his name um thomas tuchel kind of skewed our thinking of this because he came in and he was successful so quick um, I think now with Graham Potter, if he can finish off the season like that, I don't see any reason why you'd want to get rid of him unless there's someone coming in like, I don't know, I'd, I'd say like Zidane, which I don't think he would come in, but something on someone on that level, then you keep him. You keep him for, ne- for next season, see what he does. But it's all hypothetical. And again, I'm not saying for the full season. I'm saying he gets the preseason and he gets a shot to start yeah. with a clean slate. That's yeah, what I'm, I'm saying. Not, you can't just give him the preseason. You got to give him some of this. Of course, season. of course. I'm saying that he comes into the season as our manager. It's not that. That's what I'm getting at. He starts as a Chelsea manager. That's where my leash ends yeah. with with these numbers that I'm throwing out. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. Uh, I definitely think he's regained some of the trust that I thought I lost in him literally just two weeks ago. Um, this is three wins on the spin now. Three important wins. I think if he gets five out of the next seven, I'll be sold, honestly. I mean, you mentioned a couple tough fixtures in that in that bunch. I think, I think I heard Liverpool and Brighton were the two that stuck out to me that are coming in the immediate. Um, Arsenal, those are, too. Those are and Arsenal. So those are probably the three biggest games. Or I want to stick with Liverpool and Brighton. Those are the two biggest games coming up in the immediate future in the league. If we can come out of those two games with at least four points, I would say a win and a draw, 
that would be enough for me. I mean, three wins on the spin. If we can get five out of the, out of the next seven, assuming we only win five out of the next seven, that'll be what? Eight out of the last. That's more than I'm games. asking for. That's what yeah. I, if and, you already and, got and, eight wins, that's more than I asked. And, and I've been asking for a run of eight to 10 games where we don't necessarily wipe the floor with everybody or absolutely blow every team out, but we play well. We just show that there's eight to 10 games where we have a foundation, a system, a way of playing that is consistent. Um, and that looks good. You know, we can play well and lose. I don't mind that. You know, at this point in the season, who gives a fuck if we lose another game? It's not going to really impact our standing. Um, it's more so the way we're losing and the way we're playing. So that's that's going to be the main thing for me. Um, but five out of the next seven is going to be key for me. I think Liverpool and Brighton, depending on how he decides the game plan for both, is going to tell us a lot. Um, the last thing I want to see is going into either of those games being timid or changing the way that we're playing. You know, putting a, a block of five and a block of four and just leaving Kai or Sterling up top alone. Um, something like that would definitely rub me the wrong way. I think we need to kind of continue hitting teams the way we have been. High pressing, vertical passing, uh, quick runs of play in the defense and midfield, getting the ball to our forward players as quick as, as quickly as we can. Those are some of the core tenants that I think we'll need, or Potter will need, rather, um, to kind of get fans back on board. But But my general feeling, and this is just based on social media, which doesn't really, it's not a very accurate barometer, but Nonetheless, it's something. I think the general tone around Chelsea fans is that I think Potter might have it in him. But we just need to see a larger sample size. So I hope everybody's on board. Um, you know, I, I'm still going to continue supporting the guy, even though I've been on record saying that I don't think he's right for the job. The fact of the matter is he's still Chelsea's manager, and we're never going to root against them. I'm always going to hope that they can eventually turn it around and succeed. Potter's a nice guy. I have nothing against him personally. So, you know, obviously if there's... if he changes my mind, um... you know... or rather, if my mind is changed on him, um... my opinion of him as a person, manager, whatever, it's not really going to change because I think I think it's all there. It's just a matter of him putting those pieces together at Chelsea Football Club, which has been my criticism of him. So let's hope, mm. fingers crossed, that um, that he can do it. I think I think based on what we've seen, it's it's completely possible, which would be also an amazing story to tell my kids when I get older. Like, I've been there through the tough times of Graham Potter and seen him come out the other side. I could already see those <laughs> stories being told. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was like it's like what we hear about Chelsea fighting relegation, you know, <laughs> the 70s, and it's like I don't know about that. All I all I know is all like, I know is we'll be slid down to eleventh under Graham Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, we do have another um, very important. I think every match from here on out goes without saying is important, but. This one, Chelsea versus Everton at the bridge coming up this weekend. Um, obviously, Frank Lampard uh, getting sacked from Everton left this post. Sean Dyche came in to replace him, a.k.a. the Ginger Mourinho, a.k.a. Mr. 4-4-2, or super defensive 4-5-1. Um, just some quick stats about Sean Dyche since he got to Everton because they haven't been too shabby. He's averaged 1.3 points per game, which is uh, pretty impressive for a relegation side. 42.8% win percentage. And out of the seven matches he's, he's managed there, he's been able to get three wins, one draw, and three losses. But here's the important thing, guys. Two of those wins were against teams that are currently above us in the table, that being a 1-0 against Arsenal and a 1-0 against Brentford. Um, they also did, He also beat Leeds as well, um, which isn't too impressive based on the Leeds team we played last week. But um, there's... Scoring 0.71 goals per game and conceding 1.4. So they're conceding nearly double the amount that they score. Needless to say, I think um, I think this one's there for the taking. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. Quick predictions on how you think this match is going to go. Um, hopefully we see we see Reese James back just because um, I don't know how much longer we can really get away with RLC out there. Um, I don't know. Has, has you guys heard updates on Dave? Like, I don't know when he'll be back, but... Um, I mean, my guesstimation is that if you're knocked out 
cold like that in other sports i mean you're out for the foreseeable it's not a quick injury that you yeah, can like just kind of come Raul back Jimenez, from. when he got knocked out it took a few months yeah well, he I had like, like skull. I know this doesn't really mean much yeah. but in the in the ufc if you get knocked out cold to the point where you're literally sleeping in the middle of the octagon you're out six months or if they put you to sleep by a choke or something so i'm assuming that FIFA has some sort of reg- regulations that are way more strict than the fucking UFC cage fighting. So my my guess would be, you know, I don't I don't know if we see him um, for the remainder of the season. I mean, I won't be surprised if we kept him out just for precaution's sake because he was out out. Like it was yeah, scary. Plus, plus the season hasn't been that great, so it's not like they'd be in a rush to get him back. Exactly. Um, but Might take the Conte approach with him and ease him back in. Yeah. I I hope Mudrik gets another chance out there. Um, I saw a lot of positive signs. I think um, I I joked that this Everton side, like, how does anyone score on them? Um, they have who do they who do they have? Um, Kowalski and Cody. Connor Cody. Yeah, and one more. Um, Keen. Yeah, it's a, Keen. It's a back three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, that three is honestly. Pretty stacked. <laughs> it, it's pretty stacked. It's big. Physically, at least, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't know how he had how well he'd do against that, but um, I want to see it. I definitely want to see um, Noni get a chance as well. I think I don't know. Something about this match, like, I know that oh, Fofana, he played uh, and scored with the youth squad um, Premier League 2 match. Dr. So, Fofana, that is, for those listeners yeah, that are confused. Right. Yeah. And uh, it would be really cool to see those three in the front three, like just to see how it would look. And I think against a side like Everton, it's possible, but I don't know. I don't know. A prediction as far as score, I'm going 2 0, Zach. I'm stealing yours. Nice. Well, I'm going to, just for that, before Andres goes, I'm just going to double down and go 2-0 as well. You guys called me crazy last time, and I was correct. And just this past match, I guess 2-0, and you guys called me crazy again, and we scored fucking three. So this time, I'm going to call it 2-0, and we'll probably score four. four. Yes, (laughs) which is my prediction. I want to freaking punch these guys into the ground with a 4-0. It's time. The posts... The VARs, the chances are going in the back of the net, which I think is important to point out. We're, we're actually putting balls in the back of the net, and then they're getting taken away from us after the whistle. But I don't think we're going to see Noni, Mudrik, Fofana until Champions League comes back into the mix. I think this is a must win, and for Potter's own sake, I think you stick to your guns. You you stick to the main men. If that is Mudrik instead of Sterling, fine. If that's Kukurea instead of Badia Shield, fine. But you have to keep putting out this this sort of concrete 11 for the time being. It is not the time to experiment. It is not the time for Graham Potter to get out his spell book and try something else. Stick to your Wingardium Leviosa, buddy. Slow and steady will rise to the table. Oh, God. These Potter jokes are still going to happen? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, They're never going away. But I, I think... I think that the boys are, are feeling good. And the last time we played Everton was a sad display. We have far more energized team. So I'm hoping that it'll click. I think it's a win. It has to be a win. Like this is a must win match for me. So I'm hoping it'll be a big statement. Like scoreline matches the performance sort of situation. What's interesting before we kind of wrap this up is the last time we played Everton was the beginning of the season. We played a 3-4-3 under Tommy Tuchel. Dave started at right center back. Mendy started at goalkeeper. And our midfield two, Jorginho and N'Golo Conte. And I don't know if we've seen Conte since. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to kind of leave this pot off. Definitely Wait. another positive show. Go for it, Sam. Before we wrap it up, yeah. Did you guys see Sam Kerr's goal um, against Man United? Lauren right. James, Lauren James played one of the sickest balls I've ever seen over the top. Sam Kerr traps it off her chest and then chips it over the keeper. 
it's honestly one of the most like beautiful goals I've ever seen. And, dude, um, Lauren James has been on a fucking tear, dude. She's like, yeah. she's as good as Reese. <laughs> honestly, it's she's crazy. Honestly, something about being a James that it's a, uh, it's you're born to for greatness for sure. But yeah, I just think uh, Joel Felix uh, could learn, gain to learn a lot from her if you know maybe they can train <laughs> together. Oh That's my lord, what a goal. I can't believe I didn't she, see this. This is nasty, huh? Oh my god, yeah, that was beautiful. That was better than any Chelsea goal we've seen this weekend. If you haven't seen this goal, um, just type in Sam Kerr, Man United, and you'll see for yourself that she's basically a god in the form of a woman footballer. Um, the, ball. the ball is what makes it like insane. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Anyways, before this pod drags on another hour and a half, I gotta kind of wrap this thing up. But yeah, I mean, that kind of that's pretty much it for this week. Like I said earlier, another very positive podcast, and long may it continue, as well as Chelsea's win streak in the Premier League and in the Champions League. So, um, without uh, anything else left to say, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Blues on Parade, and um, looking out for our questions that we post on our Twitter at the end of every um, match. So if you want to be mentioned on the pod, make sure you comment. You can either ask us a question or just give us your general take on the game. Um, and you might get a chance at getting a shout out on the podcast. So that would be pretty awesome. Shout out to all the people that have been asking questions to us so far. We love you. Keep them coming. And uh, until next week, let's keep the blue flag flying high.